developing your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Every Friday from 10 to 12, follow us while we discover all the best culture has to offer worldwide. From science to cinema, from literature to music. Obviously, on Mustard FM 89.6. Good morning, dear listeners. Uh, welcome uh, to our uh, cultural program. Today, I'm still Alessia, yes, and uh, with me there are uh, my colleagues. Bea. Fred, Mario, owner. And Ellen. Oh, how are you guys? Oh, fine, thank you. And you? Fine. I'm okay. It's pretty hot today, but in general... No, no, it's only an impression, Ellen. No, no. It is. <laughs> but it, it's a summer. I think that it's normal. Yeah. I think so, but uh, <laughs> I'm used to have air conditioner in, in my flat and it's very hot inside usually. <gasps> so now I don't know how. And I have the sun side of the building, so you know it's it's really hot. I'm like um, chocolate in the sun. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, today I think that uh, we uh, will talk about a different topic. Now we want to start to talk about uh, mm, to the future with uh, mm, Fred Mariolone. Yes. Oh, Fred Mariolone. Fred Mariolone wants to talk not about the future but the futuristic present because I want to tell a story about an ambitious startup out of Croatia. Is Gideon Brothers, and uh, that is building uh, autonomous robots to put to work in warehouse and uh, other um, industrial logistics. And uh, Gideon Brothers uh, has raised uh, $775 billion in funding. So, good man, and good startup. And uh, it's founded in uh, early 2017 and uh, comprising a 40-plus team of deep learning and uh, robotics Expert, which include also five PhDs and uh, 27 masters of hardware and software engineering and other related uh, disciplines. So it's a very good place, I think, to work for these people. And uh, it's a really good startup with a, a lot of work and a lot of new futuristic men. And the companies uh, develop an uh, all power robot for various industrial application, of course. And uh, these new technologies combine uh, 3D computer vision and deep learning to enable Gideon Brothers robots to be aware of their environment and uh, operate uh, autonomously, similar to the self-driving uh, vehicles, the, the new one vehicles that are testing in... Uh, that I America. obviously already own, <laughs> of course. Yeah. And this tech is called Robot Brain, so it's uh, the name chosen by the co-founder and the CEO, Ma Mattia Kopic. Sorry for the pronunciation, I'm not able to speak um, in Croatian tongue, but yeah. And they say that robot of the future will rally on the same type of vision that you had and I rally on, which is basically the stereo vision. And uh, we've developed deep learning on the top of the stereo vision to give our robots a new type of perception and their environment. And yeah, I also think this new uh, technology for the vision is useful not for uh, only for the industrial sector, but for the new kind of uh, rescue machine. For example, the new kind of robot animal used in this way in to surface cross searching to saving the people after an earthquake but okay it's not the the main topic because maybe I want to talk about this in the world politics <laughs> because now okay it's uh, the, the robot time for me and the time for talking about these startups I think and that uh, startups are very uh, very um, 
um, efficient and uh, it's a, a new way to work and I worked in a startup in Rome and uh, there's a, a beautiful atmosphere, very, very friendly and uh, you can work uh, in quiet, uh, in, in peace with the others so uh, you don't uh, um, feel competitive atmosphere it's a very, very perfect way to work together Yeah, but I think the startup is a generic term, maybe used for the new business. And sometimes this startup is not really good to enter, uh, really good in this business, because choose maybe uh, bad com choose bad advertisement or the bad time to enter in this business without uh, a previous uh, business plan or this kind of stuff. So basically after one year or two years, this startup close and because they are out of business and they are not competitive in the market with the, the big giant of like, I don't know, Amazon or this kind of really great and force business that you cannot fight against. But yeah. it's my opinion. Yeah, I, um, I know um, startup that uh, it's very popular, not here in Italy, but uh, in another place. But more about this topic after short music break. Stay with us. Every Friday from 10 to 12, follow us while we discover all the best culture has to offer worldwide. From science to cinema... From literature to music. Obviously, on Mustard FM 89.6. Welcome back, dear listeners, to our cultural program. And today we uh, told about, we started to talk about with uh, Fred. Fred uh, Mariolone, sorry Fred, uh, with uh, the futuristic uh, real that we live now in this yes. period. Uh, and uh, before, uh, Ellen told me that uh, I uh, told uh, here in Italy, okay, um, there's a reason, because uh, my heart is in Italy. and uh, Not I every time, but just now. Yes, just now. And because I uh, told about this uh, startup, Solenica, uh, that it's very popular and uh, they moved to San Francisco. Mm -hmm. And uh, yes, this is Italian uh, startup and uh, that um, create uh, real uh, sunlight in, in uh, your room, f in your house, for example. So yeah. I think that uh, this is a, a, a good example of success. Yes. But, I mean, if the robots in the future are going to conquer the job of today, maybe the human have to switch the, the competence and yeah. the, the skills. And the human must go to create uh, the new creative job uh, for human and maybe also for the new robot. And, uh, yeah, this is the future because uh, girls think about maybe the speakers also in the future can be naturally substituted by a synthetic voice and yeah, yeah. I hope uh, no. <laughs> no but I yeah, don't know I, I think, think it's no. possible imagine uh, uh, Google Home or Cortana it's a synthetic voice yeah, to yeah. talk about and but with for Yes, but for the radio, for example, it's different. No, it's uh, not different because if you are art artificial intelligence, you can manage it basically uh, without speakers. Do you see a DJ here? Maybe? Yeah. Do you see a DJ? Do you, you, what? Do you see a DJ in our radio? DJs? No, 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 jockey? no, 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 no. But in the past, this jockey was the base of our radio, but now software substitute. Uh, yes, the DJs. So maybe in the future also the speaker can mm, be substituted. I not agree for one reason because uh, I think that uh, mm, when someone uh, listen the radio, uh, yes. listen for uh, mm, for uh, tell something that uh, express emotions, and uh, um, I know. Uh, that uh, now for example it's very important the storytelling telling and uh, tell a story I think that uh, a robot uh, yes uh, okay but uh, you know that exists uh, software for uh, the copywriter so copywriter, copywriter now is substituted by software so the storytelling is but copywriting is not storytelling. No, it's, yeah, it's completely different. No, it's, no, it's not. different. Okay, it's different, but it's, it's related with storytelling to the post or to write something in the 
It's a traditional to... argument about uh, creative uh, professions. So, yes, some people, especially technicians, believe that it's possible to put uh, a monkey or a robot and uh, it will create, uh, like Shakespeare did. Uh, yes. But uh, for me and for her, for people who are really represent uh, creative professions, it's impossible because even pe person without uh, creative view, without uh, creative understanding and some really good uh, education up to me can't produce such stuff. We can try put letters all together, but it's different. It doesn't make sense. And uh, for radio and uh, what Ali was talking about, it's a voice. When you can hear to some voice yeah. uh, and you feel all intonations, all uh, mm, variations of this voice, you feel the mood, you feel uh, attitudes, you feel a lot of uh, different feelings at the same time. And for me, the same. It's impossible to substitute it with a machine. You are it's too different. optimistic. No, because nobody is reaching on the radio to listen informations. No. Information you can uh, read uh, on the internet. It's nobody. Yeah, easier. But people uh, uh, switch only on. Yes, but people. Machine can learning also emotion. But no, it's different. No, okay, you because are too optimistic for the human no, rights and human work in the future. <laughs> for example, if uh, we receive, uh, when uh, I receive a message by a listener, I reply. Okay, but bot chat exists right now, and if yeah, I wrote something exists. on the bot on Telegram or on a chat bot on Facebook, the bot replied to me with emotion, maybe. No, no, without. It's oh, different. You know. No, it's different. And, uh, it's it's an emotion, algorithm, okay, but it's emotion. which is uh, constructed by somebody in advance, and you just follow the same algorithm. And I can't uh, answer to you or to you in the same uh, intonation. It's all the time. It's different, you know, when you yeah. ask me, and it depends on so many factors up to me. So it's different, but it's just about creative space and creative professions. This is an hard topic. Thank you, Fred Mariolone. <laughs> but uh, we continue to talk about, uh, I think, uh, or uh, we can start to fight uh, <laughs> after a short music break. So stay tuned. Every Friday from 10 to 12, follow us while we discover all the best culture has to offer worldwide. From science to cinema, from literature to music. Obviously, on Murstar FM, 89.6 Welcome back, dear listeners, to our cultural program. Today, I, Alessia, Beatrice, Fred, Mariolone, and Hello. Ellen <laughs> told about um, a hard topic. Yes. For you, it's possible that uh, a robot uh, can uh, um, can become speaker, radio host, for example. This is the question today. No, not only this not question, only, but the, the future job are maybe changing. It's changing now because the robots are penetrating in the business and in the industrial sector. But... Okay, not only in the industry and in this kind of field, but also in the artistic and the manual works. Because, for example, the, the 3D painting is the new uh, yeah. manual works, and uh, you can change the old meaning of the fabric for the little stuff. You can create a home, or in a s small business, you can reconstruct this stuff. But only the... Um, not only these kind of things, but al also the art is changing because the learning machine and the artificial intelligence uh, is the new uh, printer, is the new artistic in our world. And for example, Microsoft unleashed the new artificial intelligence technology and a drawing bot. And this, uh, this bot is capable of creating images from the text descriptions of an, uh, of an object. And it's al it uh, also adds details to those images that weren't included uh, in the text, uh, indicated uh, the little imagination of this machine, say Microsoft. So it's like 
personal art of this machine. And yeah, the bot is able to generate a variety of image and uh, including everything from ordinary pastoral scene like those with the grazing and livestock and also the absurd image uh, like a floating double decker box. So it's not uh, simple to create this machine but if you are able to write every code if you know all the clothes to program the machine machine can learn and it, it's able to create a, a piece of art and I want to quote also a website is a cadmon.it or chidmon c-a-e-d-o-n it's a software that create image and uh, this software learn by doing because if you put like on uh, one image it's understand it's a great image and I have to reply in, in this way so I can create art in this way because people like this and yeah it's interesting to know that the, the new technology works in this way and the art is changing and maybe you cannot pay, uh, <laughs> you have not to pay one art, uh, artist to create the something for design, maybe for the houses. But you pay one software and that's all. You can create artistic God, for the a, house. That's really interesting, really. And, you know, I wanted to add something uh, since we're talking about softwares uh, taking the place of humans. This has also been a great discussion in translation uh, because, of course, uh, technicians are trying to find softwares that are more and more sophisticated to translate uh, ever more efficiently without the help of an actual human being. Yeah. And of course, there are a lot of people saying that it, this is impossible. And uh, I think that for now it is. But sometimes maybe, you know, I know this is science fiction, but just think about Blade Runner. What if the robot we are creating will at some point actually reach the point where they can simulate emotions, real human emotions but at that point what is the difference between simulated emotion and real human emotion you know that's the whole point yeah. i don't think we reach that point now right now but it would be really interesting to see if we ever reach that yeah but they are working to this field to represent and recreate emotion because for example uh, google home search to create a communication system, a real communication to reply to you in a polite way and in an emotional way. And yes, the robot is not the future, but is the present. Wow. Okay. <laughs> but more about other topics that uh, we uh, will discover after short music break. So stay with us. Every Friday from 10 to 12, follow us while we discover all the best culture has to offer worldwide. From science to cinema, from literature to music. Obviously, on Mustar FM 89.6. Welcome back, dear listeners, to our cultural program. And today we uh, we told about a hard topic uh, because we told about uh, the futuristic uh, uh, real that uh, we living and that we will live. So, okay, and uh, we have uh, different points of view. So it's very different. It, it, uh, it's very interesting uh, to. Um, to listen to other opinion about this topic. But now, with me, we can uh, change the topic. Okay, we can uh, um, stay in the future. Mm, this is a contradiction, okay, but uh, it's very nice. And uh, I'm creative today. Uh, yes, because I want to talk about uh, um, languages and so the future of language. And uh, I dis mm, found this uh, article that it's very interesting and I want to share with you. To some extent, Americans have an advantage over much of the world's population. The country's two most widely spoken languages, English and Spanish, are among the most widely spoken worldwide. 
So, are Americans still willing to take language classes? The number of American students who learned a language other than English decreased by about 100,000 between 2009 and uh, 2013, according to research by uh, the Modern Language Association. For many, taking a class in economics might seem more beneficial than a French course. But it's really, it's really... The Chinese dialects combined already have more native speakers than any other language, followed by Hindi and Urdu, which have the same linguistic origins in northern India. English comes next with 527 million native speakers. Arabic is spoken by nearly 1,000 million more native speakers than Spanish, which has 399 million speakers. Which languages will dominate the future? Have you some opinion about this Chinese? or not? Chinese? Mm, we will discover. <laughs> Predictions of no, no, Russian, Russian. <laughs> yeah, Russian, Ellen. So you should Russian. start now. <laughs> of sure, not Italian. <laughs> But... Sure. According to this project, it could be. Ah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry. According, yes, yes, we know. <laughs> so, <clears throat> predictions uh, vary depending uh, on uh, your location and purpose. But uh, here are a few ways to approach this question. In a recent uh, UK focus report, the British Council uh, Think Tank identified more than 20 growth markets and their main languages. The report features languages spoken in the so-called BRIC countries, Brazil, Russia, yeah, India and China, that are usually perceived as the world's biggest emerging economies, as well as more niche growth markets that are included in lists produced by investment bank Goldman Sachs, and the services firm Ernst Young. So, why you are here, Helen? The future is in Russia. Yeah, you're <laughs> welcome to Russia. So, I'm here just to share with you Russian culture, Russian language. <laughs> ah, okay. Ah, this is a Russian process, um, civilizations. Yeah. A Russian... <gasps> okay. Not, <laughs> finally, this is not from Italy, you see. <clears throat> from Russia, from Russia. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> okay. Spanish and uh, Arabic score particularly uh, highly on this indicator. The British Council report concluded for the UK over when taking into account demographic trends until uh, 2050 as laid out by the United Nations. The result it's, is very different. Hindi, Bengali, Urdu and Indonesian will dominate much of the business world by uh, 2050, followed by Spanish, Portuguese, Arabic and Russian. If you want to get the most money out of your language course, studying one of the languages listed above is probably a safe bet. I, um, before to read this article... I um, I couldn't imagine this, but we discover more about languages after short music break. So, stay with us. Every Friday from 10 to 12, follow us while we discover all the best culture has to offer worldwide. From science to cinema, from literature to music. Obviously, on Mustar FM 89.6. Welcome back to our cultural program. Today uh, we uh, started with a futuristic topic and now we are in the language field. And so we talking about uh, the future of languages. And uh, I told that Hindi, Bengali, Urdu and Indonesian will dominate much of the business world. And uh, I mm, couldn't imagine this. If so... Uh, 
please, uh, I think that it's a good idea to find a course of uh, or Arabic or uh, Bengali. But who who speak Bengali? <laughs> People living in Bengal. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it's better to learn Hindi. Hindi. Yeah, yeah, I like this much. Oh, I don't know Bengali. Okay. Uh, of course, demographic uh, developments are hard to predict. Moreover, the British Council only included today's uh, growth markets, which says little about the growth potential of other nations that are still fairly small today. Also, Arabic and Chinese, for instance, have many dialects and local versions, which could make it harder for foreigners to communicate. Oh, the same in Italy. Yeah. We have yeah. we have trouble communicating among ourselves. So yeah, <laughs> yes. Despite uh, all that, uh, the chart uh, above uh, gives uh, a broad look into which uh, linguistic direction the business world is uh, developing away from Europe and North America and uh, more toward Asia and the Middle East. Yeah, because I mean, since now you haven't mentioned English huh. and it's amazing, really. No, uh, so I'm... I feel I'm feeling very stupid now. Yes, because I'm here. Why, Why are you learning English? <laughs> exactly. Because I'm here to improve my English. And now i discovering that. No. Okay. No, we don't use it. Sorry. In this world, we don't use it. Try it to the moon. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> no, but it's absurd. So I think that uh, Bea, it's very lucky because also French. Is a good language, but now we will, uh, yes, discover. No spoiler, no spoiler. So, <laughs> you wanted to speak uh, to as many people as possible? No, I don't want to speak with nobody, but okay. <laughs> I'm just thinking, yes. How about uh, Chinese, uh, Spanish, or French? Para, para, para. German linguistic expert Ulrich Ammon, who conducted a 15-year-long um, study, recently released a summary of his research. In his book, Ammon analyzes, and I'm very curious to read this book, the languages with the, the most native speakers and the most language learners around the world especially for the ladder expert. There's uh, little original uh, data available, which is why Hammond does not provide the predictions of exact numbers of speakers per language. Now, I will explain uh, top three of the languages you should learn if you want to use the language as often as possible, everywhere in the world. If you don't have time, over, don't worry too much. English will continue to topple uh, rankings uh, in the near future, according to a mob. But near future. But it's okay for us. We are not so young, so... It's no, we are young. Oh, Ellen, but do you remember your age? Yeah, I do. That's why in near future is okay, like <laughs> 50 years. Okay, so, okay, okay, okay. We will not die. Okay. Uh, <laughs> no, I think it's... Yeah, we have 50 years for English <laughs> at least, so it's okay for okay, us. Okay, thank you, English. First, Chinese. Someone uh, know some words in Chinese? Absolutely not. I know arigato, but it's not Chinese. <laughs> so? Sushi? Not Chinese. Chinese. <laughs> no. <laughs> and you've read? Uh, no. Yeah. Nope. But Federico, my best friend, is going to China. Oh, we next can year. call now. So, Federico. You know, he's learning Chinese, and his uh, young sister, she's six years, she's learning as well. Wow. Wow. So, yeah, these people are thinking about their Good future. job. They're thinking ahead. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Not like us. <laughs> but uh, after our short music break, I will tell you top three of languages that you should learn. So, stay with us. Every Friday from 10 to 12, follow us while we discover all the best culture has to offer worldwide. From science to cinema, from literature to music. Obviously, on Mustar FM 89.6.
Welcome back at the listeners to our cultural program, uh, obviously on Mushter FM. And uh, today uh, we uh, told about uh, different topics and uh, before uh, our uh, musical break, I uh, told about uh, the, the top three of languages that you should learn if you want, obviously, to use the languages as often uh, as possible everywhere uh, in the world. First, that was Chinese, uh, through Chinese as three times more native speakers than English. It's still not as evenly spread over the world. Amon said, Moreover, Chinese is only rarely used in sciences and difficult to read and write. Okay, so, if you want to become a scientist, uh, you don't need Chinese, no? So, okay. I don't need it. And, no, I need it because uh, I don't want to work uh, in the science uh, field. Oh, my God. (sighs) Second, Spanish. Spanish makes up for a lack of native speakers uh, compared with China by being particularly popular as a second language. Toth in schools around the world, Amon said. Third, French. French has lost ground in some uh, regions and especially in uh, Europe in the last uh, decades. Amon explained, French, however, could gain influence again if West Africa, where it's uh, frequently spoken, were to become more politically stable and economically attractive. So, Well, it must be said that after... Uh the UK decided to uh, separate from the United uh, the European Union it, there have been talks of reintroducing French as the official language of the European Union I don't think this is this will ever happen but they're talking about it no, well yeah it's true, it's true. but maybe Malta can save the situation <laughs> Because the English is the first language used in Malta. So if they switch to Maltese, to English, or as official language, we are safe. They're thinking about it. Oh my God, no. Please, Malta, please. Yeah, exactly. No, please. There's also the Irish, you know, they can save us too. I don't know. Uh, yeah, yeah. We'll see. see. We'll see. But they're thinking about it, yeah. I hope that uh, someone will save us because no French. Okay, it's... Uh, i know that uh, it's uh, easy, no French? For coming f- for people who come from Neo-Latin uh, languages, it's okay. easier. Not for us. But, <laughs> you know, <laughs> nobody likes French people, so that's kind and of language, why... I mean, it's very it's difficult to pronounce. Yes, very much. Very much. Like yeah. It's completely different from other, from mm-hmm. many other systems. I mean, Italian is a beautiful language. It's easy to speak Italian. I mean... To pronounce sounds, Spanish as well, but uh-uh. French. Oh, I have a bad news. A um, 2014 study by the investment bank uh, Netixis uh, even predicted that French would become the world's most uh, widely spoken language by. 2050. I think they're wrong. <laughs> Mostly <laughs> because this assumption is based on the fact that the whole continent of Africa will become economically influential and politically influential, which I don't think will happen. Nope. And okay. also, everybody hates French people. So, people, <laughs> if they can, they will no, avoid but not John. It's not yeah, about no, John. No, no, True. Okay, okay. For, for French people, I mean people from Paris. And, um, so, you know, it's true. It's true. Everybody hates yeah, but Parisians. French is not only but Parisian people. So. Yeah, but <laughs> people, when, when they go to France, they go to Paris. Oh, of course. So but that's the only people yeah. they actually meet, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that French is never going to become the world. Chinese. Chinese has more problems. But uh, the, the author of this, of the study, referred to where demographic growth prospects in Africa. For this reason, <laughs> don't worry. French is also widespread in many smaller countries, among said. However, the study did not take into account a significant fact. Not everyone who lives in countries where French is spoken is actually fluent in French. As I said, if they can avoid it, they will. (laughs) (laughs) 
a group of international researchers recently analyzed 2 million book translations, but more about this topic after short music break. So stay with us. Every Friday from 10 to 12, follow us while we discover all the best culture has to offer worldwide. From science to cinema, from literature to music. Obviously, on Mustard FM 89.6. Welcome back, dear listeners, to our cultural program. And before before our musical break, I told about that a group of international researchers recently analyzed 2.2 million book translations from around the world. Their visualization, based on data provided by UNESCO's Index Translationum project, offers rare insights into so-called hub languages, which are especially significant culturally. If a book is published in a smaller language, it will usually be translated into a hub language. Hub languages are characterized by their central position, multi-connectedness and the intensity of the nation's relationship. For instance, books from Azerbaijan will nearly always be translated into Russian. From Russian, a book will most likely be translated into English, which is the world's premier hub language for written publications. French, as well as other European languages such as Italian, German or Dutch, are also particularly significant hub languages. Shahar Ronin says that the latest data on languages used on Twitter shows a clear trend. So, some more traditional languages, which are dominant hub languages for book translations, will lose influence. As it often happens, the rise of some languages comes at the expense of others. Russian and German are two languages whose global impact is on the decline. Both are top languages in book translations and Wikipedia, but barely make it to the top 15 on Twitter, Runen explained. In other words, there is no one single language of the future. Instead, language learners will increasingly have to ask themselves about their goals and hone motivations before making a decision. So, I think that uh, we are safe. It's okay at for least. us. Yes, because uh, I think that uh, I need English in my case. In my case, I think I need uh, Russian <laughs> and I'm like it to, to be born there. Also, I need English and I'd like to learn and to be fluent in Spanish. Yeah, me too. I have the, the same goal because uh, I want, uh, especially after uh, that uh, I read this article, I want to learn uh, Spanish because I think that could be very important for the future. Yeah, at least useful. Yes, but uh, now it's uh, the moment to change the topic with our Beatrice. And I think uh, you know that uh, she is very, very original with her... Ah, yes, it's true, with her topics. And today she wants to talk about uh, words. So, yes, today I wanted to talk about etymologies because in a free topic that we did with Alessia and Joanne, we talked about this and I talked about foods and they liked it. They seem to like it. I don't know. <laughs> I assume they like it. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. No, I thought I like that maybe it. it would be nice to continue that conversation, but with other words. And um, since before we were talking about the future and robots, did you know that actually robot is a Czech word? It comes from the, the language of the Czech Republic. And robot means worker. And actually, this is a word with a very literary origin, because in 1923, Karl Zapek, I don't know how to pronounce it, I'm sorry, who was a very well-known Czech science fiction writer at the time, wrote a futuristic thriller about a nightmarish scenario in which the machines have taken over, kind of like Terminator, and implanted circuitry in humans to make them into mindless zombies willing to serve them as workers or robots. <laughs> 
So actually, in this book, the robots were not the robots, but the humans turned into zombies. <laughs> so it has a literary origin, and that is what it meant. But more about etymologies after short music break. Stay with us. Every Friday from 10 to 12, follow us while we discover all the best culture has to offer worldwide. From science to cinema, from literature to music. Obviously, on Mustar FM 89.6. Welcome back, dear listeners, to our cultural program. Today, we talked about a lot of things. And now, with our Beatrice, we're talking about etymologies. And we discover other etymologies of other words. Yeah, because some words have very, very interesting origins, in my opinion. And there are, for instance, two words that belong to a religious semantic field that actually have very interesting origins for me. For instance, the word in English, it's cretin or cretin. It's written C-R-E-T-I-N. We have an equivalent in Italian, which is cretino. <laughs> Maybe in Russian, you have something. Cretin. That's it. Wow. I don't know if the Italian or the Russian actually come from there, but for sure, the English language comes from the French cretin. The, this word still exists, and it has the same meaning in all these languages. It means basically an idiot, but it actually comes from chrétien, which means Christian. So it was actually an insult to call somebody a Christian, and then it became an insult in the real sense of calling somebody an idiot. So this is really <laughs> interesting from a religious point of view. Yeah. And actually, something that is also linked to religion and that really made me think, the word heresy comes from the Greek, and in Greek it meant choice. And can you imagine that choice has such a negative connotation in the religious language. It's just amazing. I think this is really interesting. But apart from that, there are a couple of words that really had very weird origins to the point that they used to mean something completely different. For instance, the adjective nice. Oh, yesterday during <laughs> our uh, yes, during uh, our uh, dinner, she told me, oh, I know that uh, <laughs> the, the, yes, uh, the etymology of this word, but no spoiler. Exactly, because Alessia used this adjective and I didn't want to spoil anything. <laughs> because now we use it as a, you know, it's a nice word. You know, nice is a nice word. <laughs> But it actually comes from the Latin nescius, which meant ignorant. And at various times before the current definition became established, it meant foolish, then foolishly precise, then pedantically precise, then precise in a good way, and then our current definition. So it meant something completely negative, and now it means something completely positive. And something that also had a completely different and completely opposite definition was the word occasion, which comes from the Latin occasion, which meant actually accident in the sense of a grave event, something <laughs> really negative, while now an occasion for us is something very positive, something that can have a positive outcome. But you know what? In Russian language, we have this word, and uh, it's still negative. Akazia. Really? There you go. So you have maintained the original, the original yeah, meaning. Yeah, so it it's hasn't changed, and it's still has negative connotation. That's so interesting. Occasion, really. but occasion. It's very, very similar. Amazing. Wow. Really great. So you guys, your language is closer to the Latin uh, original uh, definition than ours. It's wonderful. Amazing. Sometimes, maybe some words, you know. It's incredible. But, you know, there is one word that we actually use all the time, especially in political speeches, which is scapegoat. And this word was actually mistranslated. It didn't mean what it now means. It was actually mistranslated because... So in Leviticus, in chapter 16, the ceremonies prescribed for the Jewish Day of Atonement, or Yom Kippur, by the Mosaic Law, included the bringing of two goats to the altar, one for God and one for Azazel, which was a devil, perhaps Satan. The former was sacrificed, and the latter, to which the priest transferred the sins of the people, was led to the wilderness and allowed to go free, taking the people's sin with it. 
But when William Tyndale translated the Old Testament into English in 1530, he either mistook or misinterpreted the Hebrew Azalel, so the name of the devil, as Ez Ozel, which means goat that departs. So he invented the word scapegoat as a translation, scape being a variant of escape. And by this accident, he added a useful word to the language. Definitely. So <laughs> it really didn't mean what it now means. It didn't exist before. And I think that uh, you have uh, other, 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 other words, but after short music break. So stay with us. Every Friday from 10 to 12, follow us while we discover all the best culture has to offer worldwide. From science to cinema, from literature to music. Obviously, on Mustar FM 89.6. Welcome back, dear listeners, to our cultural program on Mushtar FM. And uh, before uh, uh, the music uh, with uh, Beatrice, uh, we told about etymologies. Uh, and uh, now I'm very curious to discover other etymologies. Yeah, because this I thought about you, Ellen, since I knew you were going to be in the program with us. So the origin of the word Tsar, mm-hmm. it's really interesting so from sad. a historical point of yeah. view. Yeah, I mean, in English, it's usually spelled T-S-A-R or C-Z-A-R. And it originally comes from the Latin term Caesar, which was adopted as a title by Roman emperors after the death yeah. of Julius Caesar, of course, and uh, as a means also of underscoring the legitimacy of their claim to power and of connecting themselves to Caesar's legacy. This term would eventually make its way into Russia, and why it did reveals a very deep insight into how Russians viewed the path of historical development from the fall of the Roman Empire to their independence from 200 years of Mongol rule in the 15th century. So when the western half of the Roman Empire collapsed in the wake of barbarian invasion around 479 AD, many of the rulers of the former eastern half of the Roman Empire, which became the Byzantine Empire, regarded themselves as the torchbearers of the legacy of Rome and of ancient Greece. However, their rule would also come to an end almost 1,000 years later, when in uh, 1453 they were conquered by a nomadic band of warriors from the steppes of Russia, the Turks. The Byzantines would leave their mark, however, for in the preceding 1,000-year period, their influence had spread over most of the surrounding era, mostly undone in the Middle East after the rise of Islam in the 7th century AD, most notably in Russia. So the Cyrillic alphabet is based on the Greek alphabet, and the Russian Orthodox Church was based on the Greek Orthodox Church, which was initially established by the Byzantines. As a result, when the Byzantine Empire itself fell, the Russians themselves, as the second torchbearer, and due to the religious significance of the number three, Rome, Constantinople, Moscow, the Muscovite rulers regarded themselves as the final torchbearers of civilization before the second coming of Christ. And in order to capture this feeling in a single title, they expropriated the title Caesar. And, of course, in Germany, Kaiser has the same origin. Yeah, but we connect it mostly not with Kaiser, but with Caesar. Exactly. So So it's really Kaiser is very from the Roman Empire to the Byzantine Empire to the Russian Empire. It's amazing, really. But for us, uh, uh, it's interesting. Maybe you didn't know about it, yes, but Moscow is the third Rome. And uh, in our culture, it's very obvious. So it's amazing. You shouldn't uh, research or make a study, you know it, I don't know how, from the childhood. It's very obvious that, uh, yeah, appropriate your system, uh, the power, and uh, it's very interesting, yeah. yes, first Rome, then Constantinople, and then, then Moscow. Moscow. And this is all within the word Tsar. It's amazing. Yes, yeah. and also it's very interesting that uh, in Russian case, religion and uh, power, so Tsar, power, or King's power are mostly connected with Rome than with Constantinople hmm. because they had different systems. And uh, although we uh, took uh, the system in 
this city it was different. So the both branches of power, religious and uh, state power, were independent. In Rome, it was the same. Like Caesar, the state power was the most important, more important than even religion, the Pope or whatever. So yeah, and uh, in our city we established your system, Roman one. Like the state power is the most important. So we have religious branch, but it's not that much important. Amazing. So you see, I mean, how dense a word can be, how much history it can bring forward. And yeah, it's amazing. And I wanted to talk to you about the word allegory. Uh-huh. Uh, so we're going back to Greece, of course. But I think that uh, we will discover after short music break. So stay with us. Every Friday from 10 to 12, follow us while we discover all the best culture has to offer worldwide. From science to cinema, from literature to music. Obviously, on Mustar FM 89.6. Welcome back, dear listeners, to our cultural program on Mushtar FM. And uh, before we uh, discovered with uh, Beatrice the etymologies of words, a lot of words, and also the history of words. And uh, this is very, very interesting for me. And uh, so, I before I interrupted you, but now, sorry, you can continue. <laughs> yeah, the music break came to spoil all the fun. We were going back to Greece with the world allegory. So in Greek, allos means other and agora means gathering place and especially the marketplace. So in times past, it was common to do one's chatting at the marketplace. Some of the topics discussed were clandestine in nature. And when people spoke about them for fear of being punished, they would speak indirectly. That is to say, they would speak about one thing in such a way as to intimate the actual information to the listener. Thus, the person discussing clandestine matters were said to be speaking of other things in the marketplace. So, allegory. Alos Agora. Eventually, the words joined and became associated with the act of speaking about one thing while meaning another. And so, last word, I want to go back to Italy. I want to talk about the word fiasco. So, actually, <laughs> both in English and in Italian, a fiasco is a failure or something that really The went. same in Russian. There you go. And the word actually comes from Venice. The city has long been famed for its glass production and the utmost care was taken by its makers to ensure that their work was perfect. If any flaw developed in the delicate work, it was the practice of the workmen in order to avoid waste to turn the article into a common flask. A fiasco in Italian. So, the Venetian glassmakers regarded a fiasco as something which had failed to come up to the standard. <laughs> wow. wow. Yes, uh, have you another word? Or no, no, no. Let's are you sure? Go, go. And now we can uh, move to <laughs> Russian part of this program <laughs> to Helen. Speaking, it's not Russian. It's I Mexican know, I know, one. but uh, you are Russian, so the speaker yes, is Russian. <laughs> and uh, today I think that uh, Ellen, she will uh, talk about uh, one of the best uh, artists, uh, I think. Yeah, at least one of the best female artists yeah. in the world. Up to me. Yeah, I started talking about this now, Experience the World program. But unfortunately, I didn't have enough time to share with you how much I discovered. And uh, yes, uh, a few weeks ago, we went all together, a lot of people, to the wonderful, amazing exhibition of Rida Kahlo in the National Gallery of Hungary. And uh, it was really amazing. It was so powerful up to me that uh, the first time in my life I could see it uh, Really, and uh, there were a long line, a long queue of people waiting uh, for coming to the gallery, but uh, it didn't matter. We were waiting, and when we came in, we were completely shocked in a good way, because uh, it was really amazing exhibition. And uh, it started uh, on the 7th of July, and it's going to be there until the 4th of November. And if you haven't come there before, please go. You should see it. There is a long story of Frida Kahlo's life, uh, her sufferings, and uh, 
her big big love uh, with her husband and different affairs with other people her affairs his affairs her paintings uh, very different and not only paintings but some works like frames uh, also you can see mexican artifacts and uh, it's very interesting to see her personal story in the context of uh, mexican history because it was a very interesting period uh, also in mexico and uh, at the same time frida was so original so mexican in a real way and also she was very popular in uh, europe in the USA, even when she was alive. You know, it's a rare situation when uh, an artist becomes popular during his life, usually only after. So many of her paintings were sold uh, during she was alive, and it makes sense. So there you can see also how she influenced, how she impacts uh, the modern art and fashion, and it's also very important. I think that uh, we will discover uh, other information about Frida and other emotions uh, also after short music break. So stay with us. Every Friday from 10 to 12, follow us while we discover all the best culture has to offer worldwide. From science to cinema, from literature to music. Obviously, on Mustar FM 89.6. Welcome back, dear listeners, to our cultural program on Mushtar FM, obviously. And before the musical break, our Ellen told about Frida. Please, Ellen, continue to explain the life of this fabulous artist. Yeah, and uh, I'd like to start with a very good quotation up to me that was written uh, on the wall in this exhibition. I remember. Yes, uh, I used to think I was the strangest person in the world, but then I thought... There are so many people in the world. There must be someone just like me, who feels bizarre and flaved in the same ways I do. I would imagine her, and imagine that she must be out there thinking of me too. So, she was amazing, and her life way was so, so difficult. Uh, she was born uh, as uh, Magdalena Carmen Frida Kahlo y Calderon on the 6th of July in 1907. And... Uh, it's very interesting that uh, her father was from Europe. Originally, he was German, and uh, he influenced uh, on her a lot. He was a photographer, Guillermo Kahlo. And uh, in Budapest, we found out that maybe also some of his family was from Hungary. Yeah, this I mean, I don't know, but it was a big surprise for me. Yeah, also for me, also for me. But maybe just because the exhibition is now here. <laughs> Maybe when it, when it comes to Russia. Yeah, Russian people uh, <laughs> suppose that uh, parts of uh, relatives of Frida was... <laughs> yeah, but uh, I'm just curious about China. The same. <laughs> but at least she was black-haired. <laughs> yes, and um, originally from Germany, Guillermo had immigrated to Mexico in 1891 after epilepsy caused by an accident ending his university studies. Although Kahlo claimed that his father was Jewish as well, you see, mixture of, <laughs> yeah. uh, he was in fact a Lutheran. Matilde, her mother, uh, Matilda Calderon, was born in uh, Oaxaca to an indigenous father and a mother of Spanish descent. In addition to Kahlo, the marriage produced uh, daughters Matilde, Adriana and Cristina. Christina was her favorite sister, and uh, also she caused uh, one of her love tragedies of uh, Frida's love. And uh, also uh, she had two half-sisters from Guillermo's first marriage, Maria Luisa and Margarita, but they were raised uh, in a convent. Caló later described the atmosphere in her childhood home as often very, very sad. Both parents were often sick, and their marriage was devoid of love. Matilda's relationships with her daughters were extremely tense. Caló described her mother as kind, active, and intelligent, but also calculating, cruel, and fantastically religious. Furthermore, Guillermo's photography business suffered greatly during the Mexican Revolution as the overthrown government had commissioned works from him and the long civil war limited the number of private clients. You can imagine it. During the civil war, it's impossible to be really successful in business if it's not a military business. 
and uh, when Kala was six years old, she contracted polio, which made her right leg shorter and thinner than the left. The illness forced her to be isolated uh, from her peers for months, and she was bullied. While the experience made her introverted, it made her Guillermo's favorite due to their shared experience of living with disability, because he had his illness and then his daughter suffered in the same way, so they became really, really close. Carlo credited uh, him for making her childhood marvelous. He was an immense example to me of tenderness, of work, photographer and also the painter, and above all, in the understanding for all my problems. He taught her about literature, nature and philosophy, and encouraged her to play sports to regain her strength, despite the fact that most physical exercise was seen as unsuitable for girls. He also taught her photography, and she began to help him retouch, develop and color photographs. Due to polio, Carlo began school later than her peers. Along with her young sister, Christina, she attended the local kindergarten and primary school in Koyasan and was homeschooled for the fifth and sixth grades. But more about the life of Frida Kahlo after short music break. Every Friday from 10 to 12, follow us while we discover all the best culture has to offer worldwide. From science to cinema, from literature to music, Obviously, on Mustar FM 89.6. Welcome back, dear listeners, to our cultural program on Mustar FM. And with our Ellen, we're talking about the beautiful and the hard life of the Frida Kahlo. Thank you. Yes, I'd like to continue. And uh, also today I found a very interesting fact that uh, some boys, uh, you know, children are cruel sometimes. Uh, were laughing at Carlo when she was uh, very young uh, and they called her a wooden leg because uh, she had uh, one uh, leg shorter and thinner than another one. But she reacted in a very good way. She just uh, tried uh, to laugh uh, with them and uh, when th- it happened, she just uh, played football with them and also she started learning how to box so she was very very strong she was very strong even like a child yes and uh, in uh, 1922 Carla was accepted to the elite uh, national preparatory school where she focused on natural sciences with the aim of becoming a doctor the institution had only recently begun admitting women with only 35 girls out of 2000 students she performed well academically and became deeply immersed and seriously committed to Mexican culture, political activism and issues of social justice. The school promoted indigenismo, a new sense of Mexican identity that took pride in the country's indigenous heritage and thought to rid itself of the colonial mindset of Europe as superior to Mexico. Particularly influential to Carlo at this time were nine of her schoolmates with whom she formed an informal group called the Many of them would become leading figures of the Mexican intellectual elite. They were rebellious and against everything conservative and pulled pranks, staged plays and debated philosophy and Russian classics. To mark the fact that she was older and to declare herself as the daughter of the revolution, she began saying that she had born on the 7th of 1910, the year of Mexican revolution began, which she would continue throughout her life. And uh, then uh, on the 17th of uh, 19. 25, Kahlo and her boyfriend, a fellow Cachucha, Alejandro Gomez Arias, were on their way home from school when the wooden bus they were riding collided with a streetcar, with a tram. The accident killed several people and fractured Kahlo's ribs, both her legs and her collarbone. Kahlo suffered near-fatal injuries. An iron handrail impelled her through her pervils, fracturing the pelvic bone. She spent a month in the hospital and two months recovering at home before being able to return to work. As she continued to experience fatigue and back pain, her doctors ordered X-rays, which revealed 
that the accident had also displaced three vertebrae. Her treatment included wearing a plaster corset, which confined her to bed rest for part of three months she spent unable to walk. At that time, she didn't know what to do, because she couldn't walk for sure, and she couldn't continue her medical study. And uh, then she came back to her childish uh, hobby to paint, and her father constructed uh, a special uh, table for her, which she could use uh, lying in the bed. So she started uh, painting just to spend her time uh, in the best way. And also her ex-boyfriend, uh, Alejandro Gomez Arias, uh, left her. He went to Europe uh, and uh, she felt very depressed about it. And at this moment she wanted uh, to show also to him that she is strong enough and she will be really good uh, at some point as a painter, maybe in a different field. And uh, she promised that she would uh, learn how to walk. So she did, and she became a very good, a very talented, a very famous, one of the most famous uh, for now artists, and uh, also a very strong woman who showed us by her life how we can uh, struggle and how we can cope with all difficulties we can face. Thank you, Ellen. Thank you so much. Uh, and uh, thank you, uh, dear listeners, uh, to stay with us. And uh, if you want a cat, a real nice <laughs> white cat, don't hesitate to contact us on Facebook. Uh, okay. Okay. It's true. It's true. We it's really true. are looking for uh, a cat owner. So please contact us so we can free poor Fred and his flatmates from this burden. Kitchy bastard Mario. <laughs> Okay, so thank you guys and have a nice day where there are listeners. Thank you, bye bye. Ciao belli. It's always hard to say goodbye. But don't worry, next week from 10 to 12 we are here for you again. With the best culture has to offer every Friday on Mushtar FM 89.6.